Well, we are going through the book of Hebrews, and we are in chapter 3 today, and we are going to go through verses 1 through 6. So if you have a Bible with you, I suggest you turn there to Hebrews chapter 3 and 1 through 6, or uh, on the screen behind me. Um, I think if you, if you read the news at all, or watch it, or listen to it, I don't know how you can avoid hearing that um, there was a very uh, famous person that died in the last, uh, about 10 days ago. Who was it? He's not from this country. He speaks with a British accent. <laughs> I'm not gonna give any more clues than that. Uh, Prince Philip, Prince Philip died, 99 years of age. And uh, it, what interested me as I was listening to this and reading about this on the online is just how admired he was and how people appreciated him and all the accolades that came in. And uh, I had ran off an article, but I don't think I'm going to go through that, mainly because I forgot it and left it home. But, uh, uh, but I, can go, I can fly by the seat of my pants and say that every king and every queen and every prime minister and all kinds of, even opposition party people, were lauding Prince Philip and calling him, you know, um, a man before his time and he did a lot of great things for the country and, as, and, and in terms of the military and so on and so forth. And you, you got the idea, especially in Britain, that they really liked him and they loved him. They venerated him. They thought he was very special. And I think that he was. Obviously, he didn't please everybody. Nobody can. But um, it was just neat to see all the respect and admiration that people gave uh, um, uh, Prince Philip and how the chests of those from Britain kind of swelled when they talked about him. Now, I bring that up for a reason, because today we're going to talk about Moses. Moses. And the the admiration for Prince Philip was really, and I'm, I'm being serious about this, was just a fraction of how the Jews felt about Moses. It's hard for, for a, the church of the, uh, uh, in the 21st century to understand that, but, but Moses was, was revered head and shoulders above um, any other Jew to the Jewish nation of Israel. And off the charts, admiration and, and respect and uh, more highly esteemed really than any other Jew that ever lived. Even Abraham, more highly esteemed than, than Abraham. And that's saying something. Um, he was miraculously protected at birth, chosen to lead enslaved Israel out of Egypt uh, through the Red Sea. Can you imagine going out to Puget Sound and raising your hands and watching that split apart, you know? And just the power that God invested in Moses and all the miracles that he did through Moses in the wilderness, getting them out of Egypt and into the wilderness. He was chosen to, to de deliver them in a dramatic way. God spoke to him, the scriptures tell us, face to face. I don't know what that means. I really don't. I just know that it's, it's very, very special. He stood up to Pharaoh. Uh, as God's prophet, he was given, directly given the law of God, the Ten Commandments, on Mount Sinai for the, the nation of Israel, direct, directly from the Lord. And as God's prophet, he was given uh, the inspiration to write the Pentateuch, which is the five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And when you think about what was in those books, 
you have uh, the, the creation story, you have early biblical history, the, the Levitical laws, the plans for the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. Some Jews actually believe that Moses was greater than the angels. Super, super, super venerated and respected by the Jews. And the scriptures laud Moses too. I want to go back, way back, to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers. I'm going to read you some verses that, that maybe you've never, I don't know, um, actually heard before. And uh, in Leviticus chapter 12, I think we may have um, some of those on the screen behind me, but Leviticus chapter, or Numbers chapter 12. And I didn't get, um, I didn't get uh, one of these on the, on the screen here, but I'm going to read chapter 12, verses 3, and then 6 through 8. Now listen to this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That's, that's pretty, that's a high standard. And then in verse uh, 6, when a prophet of the Lord is among you, I, will rev I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. How about this? Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy chapter 34. Kind of in the same vein, but, but I think it's... it's uh, Important. Deuteronomy 34, verses 10 through 12. Deuteronomy 34, verses 10 through 12. Since then, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Who did all these miraculous signs and wonders? The Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all the officials, and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So you can see why the Jews were so enamored with Moses. And that brings us to the purpose of this book that we're going through and of the passage today. Because these Jews, these professing Christian Jews, Jewish Christians, were starting to weaken. They were starting to waver, okay? They, they were getting tired, okay? They weren't as popular as they used to be when they were Jews. They were now Christians. And as I've said before, the Jewish people, Rome was fine with them, pretty much. But to the Christians, the Romans saw them as a threat. And so when these people crossed over from Judaism to Jewish Christians, all of a sudden, life wasn't as good anymore. And they were getting tired, getting tired of being opposed and rejected and made fun of and losing privileges. And yes, even facing persecution. And they began to fade and stop growing spiritually. And they, life wasn't as good as it used to be. And because uh, everything, you know, looked so good in hindsight, they were thinking about going back to their Jewish faith, minus Jesus. Oh, Jesus was still around, but he wasn't the way, the truth, the life. He was a truth, a way, a life. They were just tired of missing out on all that they had before, all the social connections and all of the, the not being beat up, basically. 
And uh, the whole intent of the writer to the Hebrews is, don't go back because Jesus is better. He's more superior. I hope that when you pull into the parking lot, you see the sign, Jesus is better. It's the theme of the whole book. Don't go back. Don't give up because if you do give up, it may prove that you were never truly saved to begin with. That's a sobering thing to say. And you gotta be careful because Christians have desert times. Christians have times when they just uh, struggle. I'm not saying that. But if you permanently turn back, if you turn away, then you were probably never saved to begin with. And so he's trying to tell them Jesus is better. In the first chapter, he says Jesus is the creator. Don't turn your back on him. He's the redeemer. Don't turn your back on him. He's better than all the angels. Don't turn your back on him. He's God. Don't turn your back on him. Stay with him. Don't drift, because if you drift, you may drift right past a genuine salvation experience. And why do I say that? Is because, and this is hard for our ears to hear because we don't hear it enough, perseverance in Christ is the one, well, not the only one, but the main indication that one is a true believer in Christ. Perseverance. It's not what you felt when you walked down an aisle or sang a song or signed a card or prayed a prayer. No, that could have all been resulting in a genuine salvation experience. But the true indication of genuine salvation is I'm gonna endure in Christ and I'm not gonna turn back, okay? And so he warns them. And he says, look, Jesus outdid the angels. He's God, he's, don't drift past the genuine salvation in Christ. And now we get here to Moses. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying, okay, I've used every trick in the book here. What card can I pull out now? Holy Spirit saying that to him. He's saying, I know Moses. If I can show them that Jesus is greater than Moses, maybe that'll keep them uh, in a, in a, in a persevering in their walk with God. Okay, because it doesn't get much better than Moses. Okay, and so what the writer says is, in, a, in a, just a nutshell, is, is that Jesus was far greater, infinitely greater, infinitely better, infinitely superior than Moses. So in your pain and in your discouragement and in your fear and in your trials and in all the opposition that you're getting and you're getting beaten about the head and shoulders and you're being rejected and, and you're in spiritual warfare and you're weary and you're tired and, and the grass looks greener back over on the other side of the fence, remember Jesus is greater than Moses. What Moseses do we have today? Think about it. There's lots of Moseses around. That's a hard thing to say, Moses. Where do you stop, you know? There are a lot of Moseses out there that look better in the short run than Jesus, but they're not. And they can't do for us what Jesus does. Okay, and so the title of the message today is Who's Greater, Moses or the Messiah? Who's Greater, Moses or the Messiah? And I said this in the introduction and I said it intermittently as we've gone along here. This is for today's church because there's all kinds of jangly, glittery stuff sparkling around with the world, the flesh, the devil, and false religion that is saying, come on over here. 
It's easier, it's more fun, it's more pleasurable. Uh, you can just enjoy life and have, you know, Jesus too. And they're all lies. And as it becomes more difficult to be a Christian, those are gonna look even tastier. This is preparation for whatever comes next, revival or persecution. I'm not a prophet. I don't know what the future tells, tells us. I do know this, that as I've said before, the way it looks, it's not gonna be more popular to be a Christian. <laughs> How is, that? is that pretty diplomatic, the way I phrase that? Okay, who is greater, Moses or Messiah? Well, I'm gonna give you four statements about that, about the Messiah being better than Moses, okay. Number one, Moses gave us the law, but Jesus gave us a brand new spiritual identity. Look at verse one of chapter three. Therefore, uh, the next word, I, you could do the whole next the rest of the time here, but therefore holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Now the 10 commandments was given by God on Mount Sinai to Moses and through Moses to the children of Israel. And that's one of the reasons why they just loved Moses so much. He was on the mountain. He saw God. God gave him the stone tablets with the commandments on them. And they just went, wow, Moses got the law. And, and no wonder they just loved and still love Moses. But the problem was is that and the law is good, and Paul, the Apostle Paul says the law is good, but they were external commandments, right? They were external commandments. They did their job in their time. The law, Paul says the law is good, but the law, uh, Paul also says in Romans chapter three that the law tells us all to shut our mouths. Okay, the law tells us to shut our mouths in Romans chapter three in verses 19 through 20. I believe I've read this before, but it really, it helps to set the tone for everything that we're gonna do today. Romans five, one through three, or excuse me, did I say five? Romans chapter three and 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that's you and I and the Jews, in the whole world, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. We think we're pretty hot stuff. Get the Ten Commandments, put them right next to you, read them all. And you say, well, I do all those. And then go to the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus says, if you even think that stuff, you're under condemnation and then you go, Guess I better shut my mouth. I'm really not all that hot stuff. The law butts up against our behavior and says you're never gonna be that perfect. That's what we got from Moses, we got the law. But Jesus gave us something totally different. Jesus through himself and apart from the law, apart from just obeying religious rules and rituals and formulas and systems and all that stuff, he gave us a new and perfect spiritual identity. 
You are people with a brand new identity. Did you know that? The moment you prayed to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were given by the Holy Spirit a brand new identity, and he tells us what it is right here in verse one. You're a holy brother who shares in the heavenly calling. And if you want to call us sister, knock yourself out, you know. I don't care. But whatever, whatever you are, male or female, you were made holy and uh, a, a member of God's family permanently, and you were given a heavenly calling. Let's look at these more closely. Because Jesus gave us these. By the way, one of my all-time favorites. I even committed it to memory, but I don't have the guts to try it here this morning. I tried that once before, and I barely got through by the skin of my teeth, so I'm not going to do that. But Romans 8, chapter 1 through 4, is just a knockout of a passage. You, some of you know it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could, that was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature or the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned in, sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be what? May be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. We don't have to keep the law because we have the perfect law keeper living in us. I like that. Because every time I try to be a good person, I face plant. When I try to be the goody-two-shoes, spiritual, you know, self-righteous person, it ends in disaster. But when, by the grace of God, I surrender to the perfect law keeper who came to live in me the moment I was saved through the Holy Spirit, that's when true Christian behavior is achieved. Can I get an amen? amen. That's Christianity. Don't try to live the Christian life on your own. Okay? It's not difficult. It's impossible. But when the one who is the Christian life is in you and you surrender to him and it begins to bear fruit out through your life, that's what it's all about. That's called living by grace. Okay? And, and then when you go back to he, uh, Hebrews chapter 3, what's exciting here is how it describes you. And we talked a lot about this last week, so... I'm just going to skim over the crest of the waves here on this, but it says you're holy. Jesus made you holy. He made you holy. We talked about that last week. You're holy. Look at verse, let's just for grins and giggles go back to last week in verse 11. Both the one who makes men holy, that's God, and those who are made holy are of the same family. Whew. I love tenses. I dig tenses. Because they speak loud. They're just little things, but they say, you were made holy. Holiness that doesn't depend on how you behave, how you perform. If you do more right things than wrong things. If you're a Christian, you're holy. Okay? Even on lousy days, you're holy. Even on days when you just fall flat in your Christian life and every thing just seems to be disobedience to God. Guess what? You're still what? 
You're holy. You mean I act holy then, but you are holy. I, you're not supposed to have favorites, and I guess I shouldn't, but I do. Hebrews chapter 10, 10. I just love this verse. Verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 10. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You know, that ought to ring your bell. Once for all? No, Lord, only when I'm behaving properly. That's not what the Bible says. Once for all. Once for all. We say, don't, don't say that. I know people, if you say that, they'll go out and just use grace and party hardy. Go, I'm holy, I can do that. Well, that person, I would doubt their salvation. If that's all they love God for, then you wonder if they're truly saved. I mean, I'm not the arbiter of who's saved or not, but how can you be that way when God's done so much for you and for me? It also calls us brothers. Look back at chapter two, verse 11. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. When we're baptized into Christ by faith, we are now his brothers. We're the same family. I'm still trying to, to have that register in my mind. But all who know Christ as Savior and Lord are described as brothers. You know how else you're described in the scriptures? As saints. Do you know that's never used in the singular form? It's always plural. Look at any letter that Paul wrote. It's always saints. Even to the Corinthians. <laughs> saints. I love it. I love that God's view of me is not determined by how well I perform. And that's what Satan doesn't want the Christian to know. Anyway, that's another sermon. But we're saints, we're holy ones, we're Christ's brothers. And then it says we share in the heavenly calling. This is really gonna blow your mind. Um, in verse, let's see, one. We're only two sentences into the first verse. Who share in the heavenly calling. Do you know if you're a Christian here today, you have a heavenly calling? And what that means is this. It can mean more than one thing. It means that right now, spiritually, as Christians, we're in heaven. Saying, you could have fooled me. I don't look, don't look like heaven to me. You are in heaven, okay? You, are, you have been placed in spiritual union with Christ, awaiting the final stage of your heavenly home where you're gonna receive your new resurrection body. Uh, you know, just to prove my point, because I always like to do that, you know. I always figure if I can get people to argue with Scripture, then, you know, it's not my problem anymore. <laughs> Ephesians 1.3, Praise be to the God and Father. Now watch the tenses. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms, has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. When you're baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit, you're baptized into where he is, and he is in heaven. That's where we are spiritually. It doesn't feel like it all the time, most of the time, but it's, that's what reality is. Reality. That should be our motivation and our encouragement for being a Christian. We're there already. Just this is just the only thing that's not there. And it's coming soon. Since we were dealing with the UK here a few minutes ago, I'll tell you another story. This is what, I love this. Victoria, I just, 
I stole this somewhere. I don't even know where I did steal it, but Victoria was Queen of England from 1837 to 1901. When she was young, she was shielded from the fact that she would be the next ruling monarch of England, lest this knowledge would spoil her. When her teacher finally let her discover that she would one day be Queen of England, Victoria's response was, then I will be good then I will be good. Her life was controlled by her future destiny. Is that what controls your life or mine? My future destiny? I mean, when you're under Moses, your life is controlled by rules. <laughs> How well do rules work? I am such a rebel. When I see a rule, when I was a kid, all I want to do is break it. I tell Debbie and I talked about how we, when we were in grade school and in younger years, and I, I, I tell Debbie, she was the teacher's pet and I was the teacher's nightmare. <laughs> I just wanted to break a rule. You know, when you have rules all the time, you want to break them. You, wanna walk, you walk by a, a park bench that's just been painted that says, do not touch wet paint when you want to do. When I touch it, at least when you were a kid, you did. Rules just make us want to break them. That we're heaven in heaven right now, that makes us just want to live for God. Thank you, God, living out of gratitude, as I said last week. You know, so I've, have you heard this before? Have you heard people say, you Christians are so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Anybody ever hear that? I th you know what I think? I think the more heavenly minded we are, the more earthly good we are. And the more sin's power is broken, and the more we're encouraged no matter what happens in this crazy world we live in. Well, one more scripture and we'll move on to our next point. I want you to go, or maybe it's up top, Colossians chapter three, verses one through three. Since, it's already a done deal, then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. You got a new identity through Christ. When did Moses ever give anybody that? Nobody, never. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's why the church needs to just be filled with that. Filled, 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 filled. Because if it's not, if it's, not it's a boring, legalistic, rule-keeping cemetery under the name of church. And so Moses gave us the law, the writer of the Hebrews is saying, but Jesus gave you a new spiritual identity. Messiah is way better than Moses. Don't go back. Secondly, Moses was a faithful, Moses, or Messiah, Jesus was better than Moses because although Moses was a faithful leader of Israel, Jesus was the, was the faithful apostle and high priest of God. Moses was, yes, a trustworthy, faithful leader, but Jesus was an apostle and high priest. Look at verses one and two again. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Again, Moses was faithful. We read those verses at the beginning of the message in Numbers and Deuteronomy. He was the 
gold standard for a leader in the Old Testament. No question about it. But Jesus is called the apostle and high priest whom we confess, making him infinitely superior to Moses. The word apostle means sent one. Jesus was a sent one. Moses was born of a human mother. Well, so was Jesus, but Moses was a human born of a human mother. Miriam, right? No? Who was Moses' mother's name? That was his sister. Okay, we'll just call her Mrs. Mo uh, huh? Jochebed. Jochebed. What parent would name a daughter Jochebed? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. That's a guy's name, Jochebed, you know. Jesus was an apostle, sent one from, uh, sent one from God. The gospel refers to Jesus as the one that God sent, his only begotten son. He was the high priest. And we'll talk about that in chapters four and five more down the line because it's all about Jesus being our high priest. And then he was faithful. Jesus was always faithful, not Moses. How many people remember Je uh, Numbers chapter 20, verse 11? It was in the desert of Zin at the waters of Meribah. And the Israelites were in their typical cranky, grumbly mood. And why do we have to, did we have to get out of Egypt? And there were the, all the pomegranates are there and the figs are there and, and all the good stuff was there and lots of water there. And Moses says, Lord, again, with these complainers. And God says, no sweat, I go to the rock, speak to the rock and water will come out and they'll have all the water they need. And I think Moses had just had, had it by the time he got to Meribah and he gets to the rock and what does he do instead of speak to the rock like, like God said? He struck the rock with his stick or rod or whatever it is. <sighs> Moses, as we just said, was faithful. But Jesus is the, the sent one of God, the Son of God in human flesh to atone for our sin and rise from the dead. He was the high priest and he was faithful. Jesus always did the, the will of God. Moses didn't. Moses hit that rock. Uh, he was impatient. He was, he, he was frustrated. Any, do we have any other rock hitters here today? Yeah, you are. I don't care whether you raise your hand or not. <laughs> We're all rock hitters, whether it's out of frustration or impatience or uh, mistrust or ad infinitum. We all hit rocks. Jesus is the only one that never hit a rock out of impatience. He always did God's will. He was always faithful. The Father said to Jesus, I'm sending you to earth to do my will, and Jesus accomplished the Father's will without question, without hesitation, without failure, perfection, the only one in history. And the writer saying to the Hebrews, don't go back, don't go back to Moses, don't go back to anything else, sin, pleasure, uh, uh, religion, don't go back. Jesus is way better, infinitely superior to Moses. Is he making a good case so far, do you think? I think he's making a great case. Let's go to the last two here. Third, Messiah is better than Moses. Number one, let's see if we can't review quickly. Um, I'm not going to review. I can't find my points. Okay. 
You'll just have to read them up there. Third, Moses, Messiah Jesus is better than Moses because Moses had honor because he was the house, but Jesus had greater honor because he was the builder of the house. And being the builder of the house, it made him God. Now something's happening here before we kind of trip into our last point here. In the book of Hebrews, there are nuggets, gold nuggets, that you didn't even know were there, but they're there. And as we go through the Hebrews, there are going to be some nuggets the size of basketballs, gold, solid gold, and they're the nuggets of the expression of the deity of Jesus Christ. And here's one of them. Let's read it. Verses three and four. Jesus had been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but God the, is the builder of everything. So what's happening here? Well, Moses was faithful, but it says he was built. Now it's not talking about how buffed out he was, okay? It's talking about God made him. God created Moses. Moses is a creation of God. Okay? He led Israel, but he was a creation of God. But when you get to Jesus, it says he was the one that made the house. He made every Israelite. He made every Christian. He made every human being. He made every planet, star, uh, galaxy. He made the universe. He's God. And there's a big difference between non-God and God. That's the idea here. He's deity. Take that with you wherever you go. Jesus is God. There are some doozies in here that we're going to run across. One that really helped me through a period of doubt years and years ago, and I just was struggling with the, the deity of Christ, and God opened my eyes to a, a verse in, later on in Hebrews that just solved that problem. I can't wait to share it with you. But Moses had honor as the one built, but Jesus is God. And then fourthly, our final point here before we get to uh, some applications. Messiah Jesus is better than Moses because Moses was faithful as a servant, but Jesus was faithful as the son. Big difference, servant, son. Let's look at uh, the last two verses, five and six. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Moses was a faithful, caring, obedient servant towards God's people, Israel. I mean, think about, and remember how many times Israel was just about to get greased by God? And what did Moses do? God, wait, 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 stop. Please, don't, please, don't, 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 don't turn them into a bunch of crispy critters, Lord. I mean, just don't fire them into oblivion. I know they're disobedient, but just, just please, God, just, uh, they're your people. Remember that? And, and, and he, he was that kind of guy. He's a faithful guy, a loving guy, a humble guy, uh, who, who, and, you know, if I was Moses and I had been treated like he'd been treated by the Israelites, I would have said, Lord, don't let me get in your way. Have at it, you know. <laughs> Moses was a great servant, but he wasn't the son of God. 
as we're told here in verse um, 6. Jesus is the son over God's house. The son over God's house. Do I take the time to do it? I am not going to take the time to do it. I have a, I'll do it later. I have a dynamite quote about that that I can use later on. So I'm going to hold back because I want to give us some applications here that I think are important. What should we do? Church of 2021, what should we do? What should we do? There has to be a legitimate response to this. Because as I've said and will continue to say, there is definitely, how fast, I don't know. I don't like to make, you know, predictions. But there definitely is a rising spirit of Antichrist. And it's always been on earth. It's always been here. But there is. And, and I don't know how fast, and it could be 100 years till it all comes to fruition. Or 100 months, I don't know. But what do we do? What do we do when we're tempted to go back to pleasure, sin, religion, uh, our previous way of life? And we all say, well, I'd never do that. Well, have you experienced, have I experienced what we're gonna fully experience yet? We don't know that. And so it's time to get ready now, amen? Now is the time to get ready for, for this world. Now, not later on. So what do we do? Three things, they go right through the passage. Number one, it says to confess him. Verse one. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus the apostle and high priest, whom we, what everybody, confess. What does that mean? We receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's got to be the first thing. We're talking chronologically here. It's the Greek word homologeo, to say the same thing. Homo, homo sapien, homogenized milk. Homo, the same thing. Lageo, to speak or to agree. What do we need to do to be saved? To agree with God. To agree about what? That we're sinners and we're lost. And we can't work our way into God's good graces and that Jesus Christ came to this earth to become sin for us. And then on the cross, he bore all that sin. He was buried in a tomb for three days and three days later he rose from the dead and he offers us his resurrection life and the heavenly calling if we express faith in him and trust him to be our Lord and Savior. Confess, agree, that's what confession means, to agree with Jesus. If you've never agreed with Jesus, I encourage you to do that. It'll be the best decision that you've ever made. Number two, fix our thoughts on Jesus. That's the second one here, um, chronologically. Therefore, holy brothers, verse one, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our faith. What does that mean? The word fix there means to think about something as much as you can, as much as you can. And it takes time and it takes effort and it takes discipline, but it means think about Jesus and what he did as much as you can. And it's not easy, is it? I mean, it's not for me anyway. I am the, I'm a drifter in my brain. I just, it's a good thing I became a pastor because if I had to sit where you are, I'm just a drifter. 
It means make thoughts about Jesus your primary daily activity as much as you can. While you're driving, while you're working, while you're walking, while you're recreating, if you can, you know, in those spaces. I had to do that yesterday because I was, I don't do this very well and so I thought, man, I can't get up there and preach and not having tried this. I mean, I've done it before to extend my thought because I was in the back and the radio was on. I was enjoying the radio. And I thought, I'm going to go in there and tell them to fix their thoughts on Jesus and I haven't done it. I just can't do that. So I turned the radio off and I started to try to think about Jesus. And I just thought about Jesus straight for the next 15 hours. It was amazing. <laughs> I literally, I struggled. Because I drift and I had other tasks to do. You know how you get, what's it called? Distracted? <laughs> but I did a little bit more than I normally would do. You know, I have my quiet time. I'm, we're not talking about our quiet time. We're talking about ta thinking about Jesus. Fix our thoughts on Jesus in good times, in bad, in rough times, in smooth, in when we're tired, when we're excited. Prepare now, okay? Prepare now. <sighs> Debbie and I are going to Yosemite in September, Lord willing, aren't we? Where are you? Oh, same thing. <laughs> Why was I thinking Yellowstone? Because we drove by there and didn't go there. Yellowstone. And uh, we've, this is our fourth try. We set up reservations. We did everything. And I think this time we'll make it. We've ran into surgeries, this, that, and the other thing. And uh, I want to I share my travel plan with you. Would that be okay? Okay, it's, it takes 13 and a half hours to get there, so we're going to leave at midnight, and then we're going to drive 13 and a half hours. And I, we, according to the time change now, there should be about five hours of daylight, so we're going to take in the park in those five hours. And then we're going to drive back the 13 and a half hours to how? How's that sound? You say, you must be out of your mind. Okay, no, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to go, and we're going to take at least a week, if not longer, to just, and I guess that's not even enough, right, and enjoy God's creation, okay? I read about an old park ranger who's still working in his late 80s, and he had literally spent his life exploring and enjoying the spectacular beauty of Yosemite. And one day, a citified woman, what did I do? <laughs> Yellowstone. <laughs> one, anyway, one day, a citified woman, this is about Yosemite, a citified woman hurriedly approached him and asked him, if you only had one hour to see Yosemite, what would you do? And he slowly repeated her words, only one hour? One hour. After a pause, he said, ma'am, if I only had one hour to see the park, I'd go over to that log, I'd sit down, and I'd cry. <laughs> Jesus is endless. Think about him as much as you can. Fix your eyes on him. That's how we stay glued to our faith. Okay? And then lastly, um, we need to persevere. Okay? Confess, fix our thoughts on Jesus, and persevere. Look at verse 6. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if we hold on to our courage and the hope 
of which we boast. Now that if is a big deal. Because no, you cannot lose your salvation. The scriptures are clear about that. But it may be that it was never real to begin with. You say, how do I know it's real? By persevering. You say, do I get saved if I persevere? No, perseverance doesn't save you. But the saved person perseveres. That's how you know. That's the main uh, sign of genuine salvation. You persevere in Christ. And so he says, hold on to your courage. Hold on to the hope of which you boast. Stick with it. Okay? That's a warning that's all through the book of Hebrews. Persevere. Hold on to your courage. Hold on to your hope. True saints, persevere. F.F. F. Bruce, the eminent New Testament scholar, says, continuance in the Christian life is the test of reality. And it's not how you start, it's how you what? You finish. And if we're the house of God, the living church, we're gonna stay in the house. And these people were, were falling away and drifting away, thus proving themselves perhaps not to be saved in the first place. I'm not saying we don't have rough times as believers, don't get me wrong, but we'll persevere as believers. People go back, you all know them. And why? Quick synopsis, real quick. Because um, I looked, I studied this, and Scripture tells us they go back because they want to feel comfortable, or it's more familiar, or easier, more popular. There's not as much uh, harassment. You're not a salmon swimming upstream in a godless culture. It's just easier. And then I went to the parable of the soils in Luke chapter 8, and it says this is what causes people to spring up and die, having never had salvation in the first place. Trials, testing, worries, riches, pleasures, immaturity. And so we have to say, Lord, I'm going to persevere in you. You see, you've heard it before, the Christian life is not, it's not a sprint or a hundred-yard dash. It's a what? It's a marathon. Jesus made that real clear. That, let me close with this story, and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish with this. William Barclay wrote the letters to Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. They're good commentaries. Um, there's a few things I wouldn't agree with mom, but good in, for the most part. And the word marathon, the name comes from a decisive battle of marathon, where the Greeks fought the Persians. And if the Persians had conquered, the glory that was Greece never would have been known. Against fearful odds, the Greeks won the battle. A Greek soldier ran all the way, day and night, to Athens with the news, and he ran straight to the magistrates and gasped with these last words, rejoice, we have conquered. And then he dropped dead. He had completed his mission and done his work. It's significant that when Paul wrote his final letter to Timothy, he did not report on how many he had won to Christ or how many churches he had planted or how many evangelistic campaigns he had conducted. He simply said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. He fought, he finished, and he endured. And that's the ultimate test of genuine faith in Christ. Moses or Messiah? That's a tough one, isn't it? Messiah. Let's not go back to any Moseses. 
Let's not get diverted or distracted. Let's not get discouraged. Stay with Jesus. And then you'll hear those wonderful words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Father, we know that this world is tough sometimes. It can grind on us. It It can grind on us at work. It can grind on us in relationships. It can grind on us in conflict. It can grind on us with temptation and sin. And Satan grind, tries to grind on us and, and, and disappointment grinds on us. And Lord, it all makes us want to have something easier, something more palatable. But Lord Jesus, you are worth it. And you will get us through these times. Help us, Lord, to not only confess you, but to fix our eyes on you and persevere in you. And so avoid the disaster that some of these professed believers in Hebrews uh, were in danger of experiencing. We love you, Father. Thank you for being so loving towards us that you give us warnings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go enjoy that weather.